Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo-woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal, boys and girls. Ty Hildenbrand here, Dan Rubenstein right on over there. SolidVerbal at gmail.com. That is still our email address, 408Verbal1. Oh, I know you didn't forget about the reverb line. We'll get to that momentarily. Don't forget to find us on Facebook on FanCred. And of course, on Twitter. Hello, Dan. Hi, Ty. How are you? What's up with you? Um... Not too much. So a lot happened in college football this weekend. Yeah. We can agree that that's a fact. Yeah. So I would say that the sort of apex of this all happening, just the, the college football world exploding and new things happening and big plays and outbursts and all these things, right around 4 p.m. Eastern time, right around there mm. is when it all started happening yeah. and blowing up. Walk me through, I mean, what are we talking, two, three, four TVs in front of you at 4 p.m. Eastern time? Uh (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. This is all me talking, Ty. This is all me talking. You are being a super good guy. We had had a few people a couple weeks ago call us hypocrites. Yeah. And one of the reasons that uh, one gentleman called us hypocrites is they said, well, you know, you try to present as normal, everyday fans. Mm -hmm. And in reality, all you're doing is regurgitating whatever the mainstream media says, which of course, is that some, who said that to us? I, 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 had, I had a sidebar conversation with somebody. Was this via Twitter email? This was through Twitter. Wow. Okay. So I, you know, I'd refute that point, but if anyone ever doubted that we are just normal fans doing our best to watch college football, kind of interwoven with our everyday lives. Oh, that's use my Saturday as an example, because yeah. at 4 PM, instead of hunkering down in front of six televisions, um, I was off to take engagement photos. Now are we talking full nude. I almost made the joke about how much we're paying and why we're not doing shirtless photos. Yeah. I mean, it, I want tasteful, uh, like a slight glisten. I don't know. I'm just going to assume the lovely fiance of the solid verbal is going to be beautiful for a long, long time. But Ty, you're right. You're, you're peaking right now. I'm pe- I'm on the way down, man. I'm on the way down. Yeah. We should probably get into football stuff and come back to the engagement stuff later. I did not feel great about the scheduling. It was one of those deals where, you know, a lot of fall weddings and the photographers booked up and you got to book it well in advance. And uh, I noticed at about Monday that this was going to happen and was like, oh, God, it's happening. It's happening. I did watch the games. I went back and watched what I couldn't see uh, in the earlier part of the incredible slate of 330 games that was Alabama, Ole Miss, Notre Dame, Stanford, TCU, Oklahoma. I went back and watched all that, but right. Let's get started where we do each and every week. Yep. We've been touting week six since gosh, week three. Hmm? Week six reverbs. Let's have a listen. I've been sitting in the same seat for 14 hours and it's been everything I ever could have dreamed of and a little more. <laughs> This is Jake in California. This is Mike from the Bull City. Kara from New Orleans here. Mike from Melbourne, Australia. Hey, it's Joel Stave here. I just wanted to let you guys know that I gave it my best effort today, but we lost, so I'm not feeling well enough to play for the rest of the year. As a Wisconsin fan, do I want Stave to have 
has the yips or no? 27 carries for 259 yards in a losing effort. I realize the Wolverines barely have a pulse this season, but Rutgers beats Michigan. And those are words I never thought I would hear on this planet or any other. Just wondering at what point do you have to ask Devin Gardner to take off Tom Harmon's number? Well, tonight's for uh, Illinois to allow uh, Daryl Hazel's first uh, Big Ten win in his uh, coaching career at Purdue. Uh, hopefully he has room for Tim Beckman on his staff next year as a, as a thank you gift. Ole Miss beats Alabama. We have goalposts from Von Hemingway being marched through the streets. Looks like Dr. Bo finally earned his PhD. All we got to do is Wiley Coyote finally catch the Riddler. Beat the Purple Tigers and all is right. War damn eagle. And as my first season as an LSU alumni, I didn't think it was possible for an offense in the Power Five conferences to be more anemic than Stanford until I saw LSU tonight. I have a feeling that the boat race soundbite will be dropped for that Auburn beatdown on the LSU Tigers. Well, it was an ugly game, but we managed to get Driscoll popped down on the bench without even losing. Looks like Tennessee fans are double losers today. We had to sit through that whole game, and then we lost. I am an Oklahoma fan, and I'm attempting to digest this afternoon. All the credit in the world to TCU, but that was one of the worst Oklahoma football games I think I've ever watched in my life. After that night, you know that Gary Patterson is going to treat his wife to a romantic evening of tying his shoes and hiking up his pants. We have reached the bizarro world where Baylor can beat Texas by 21 points in Austin, and it leaves the Baylor fandom generally concerned about the team. We didn't lose to Kansas two years in a row. Woo! So I'm assuming the Notre Dame community is busy writing thank you letters to Everett Golson, professor from last year, and also George Whitfield, because uh, that read progression was a thing of beauty. I'm pretty sure two years ago, after Notre Dame's goal line stand against Stanford, I fathered my first child, thanks to the magic elixir that is Everett Golson and Ben Koyak. I think I'm ready for child number two. I cannot believe they came out with that game. In past years, Tommy Reese would have thrown an interception in the third quarter. That would end the game. Well, I guess ESPN will have to prop up Notre Dame until we do it big on them in a couple weeks in tally. Oregon is the new Clemsoning. Sorry, Dan. They say it never rains inside Austin Stadium, which was confusing for me until I realized those were tears. Chip Kelly, please come back. And how much do you think it would take to get our files to come to Oregon next week? Dan, how much does it bother you that there is a wide receiver for Oregon whose last name is Stanford? I just think some good news for you, Dan. Um, they're in different sides of the, of the division, so there might be a year where uh, Oregon gets to avoid Arizona one of these years, so uh, you got that to hope for. Connor Holiday and Jared Goff, 86 of 123 for 1,261 yards, 11 touchdowns, and zero picks. Connor Holiday in a losing effort. Connor Holiday in a losing effort. Connor Holiday in a losing effort. That is going to be the ultimate in a losing effort. The award has to be the Connor Holiday Award for a losing effort now, right? All right, Dan, there you have it. A record number of reverbs. We've been doing this show since 2008, and mm-hmm. 
you know, the reverbs specifically since about, I don't know, 2010, 2011, we have never gotten this many. So it ran a little bit longer than usual, but wow, Dan, just wow. Wow. We've been saying it all year jokingly (sighs) that nobody's any good, right? That you can't trust any team this season. And if anything, this weekend took a big yellow Sharpie to that point Mm -hmm. and couldn't underscore it anymore. Yeah, I, I, at this point, I would say that there are a couple of teams that I, I think are are definitively very good. I would say Florida State is definitively very, very good. I would say Auburn is definitively very good. I would say Mississippi State is definitively very good. And outside of that, I, th- I think you got me. There are a lot of teams that are very good, but there yes. is a definite difference between very good and trustworthy. And I think that's where we're at. Oklahoma is a very good team. But in light of what we saw yesterday, are they trustworthy? Maybe not. Oregon, a very good team. Trustworthy? Probably not. Alabama, still a very good team. And for the most part, still trustworthy, but ran into a really good Ole Miss team that I'm not sure is trustworthy. So we're going to continue this conversation. Here's what we know. After Saturday, Five of the top eight, 11 of the top 25 in the AP top 25 poll have gone down. For what it's worth, the AP poll dates back to 1936. This is the first time ever that there's been this much upheaval. Mm -hmm. And we've only got about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes to do this podcast. So we're going to try and focus on the top 25 and we'll branch a little from there. We apologize in advance if we can't cover every game in the Power Five the way we normally do. However, we're going to try and get through all of the action as best we can here. Mm-hmm. Let's start on Thursday, shall we? Were, were there games on Thursday? For the second straight year, yeah. Rich Rod gets the best of Oregon, this time in Autzen Stadium on a Thursday night as a 23-point underdog. Daniel, I have three questions for you. Yeah. Oregon grad and extraordinaire. Sure. First off, mm-hmm. easy one. Did you stay up and watch this game? Every second. Started at 10.30 p.m., watched it until the better part of, I guess, 2 in the morning, uh, and then uh, just sort of digested things and read and everything until about 2.30, 2.45, yeah. I did not stay up and watch the full game. I went back and watched the replay later. But I did wake up at about 3 in the morning, saw the box score, and it took me a solid 90 minutes thereafter to fall back asleep. Yeah. Question two, why did Arizona win this game? Uh, they have real coaches. Mm. They have real coaches. Oregon is more talented than Arizona. Uh, Oregon has the best quarterback in the country. I would still maintain Rich Rod is a better coach than Mark Helfrich. Jeff Castile is a better defensive coordinator than, uh, God, I forget his name. Don Pelham, your boy, Don Pelham. And the, the officiating was bad. I'm not going to point to the officiating. There was an awful, I don't, did you see afterwards the bow? I did. I did. Yeah. That was, that was questionable world. at best. Right. It was it was it was a dumb thing that, you know, it's I guess it's by the letter of the law. But so is the the dumb Arizona taunting penalty. That was just it seems like that kind of thing happens on every single play. It was it was a dumb move by both of the players. It was dumb by the refs to be taking the game as seriously as it did. The flags kept flying the entire game. But the reality is this. 
Oregon's offensive line got manhandled. They looked better in pass protection. Mariota looked more confused in pass protection against a 3-3-5. Uh, and Oregon's defense simply, I mean, they got a little bit beat up, but again, it's football. Everybody gets injured. Oregon in big spots, especially on defense and even on offense. There were there were failures. There was, you know, the, the, I, I want to say it was the first drive of the second half. Oregon is the best quarterback in the country, hands it off three times. It goes for a total of like three yards, yep. and they punt. Like it was <laughs> in terms, it was in terms of, Oregon and the word creativity and the the niche they've carved out for themselves as being a very forward thinking, creative X's and O's team. It was a, I wouldn't say you have to bury that thought, but it was a very large chunk of sand poured on that grave. It's, it's an indicator of things to come. Um, And I would say Oregon fans, myself included have to make peace with the fact that Oregon is merely good and not very good. And that's fine. And that's great. Because a lot, there are a lot of teams we talk about on the show that are not good. Um, and defensively, they, you know, third and 20, they'd give up a third, third, like a 25 yard scramble from a new Solomon, who, by the way, looked good in Austin Stadium as a first year player. He looked better. Yeah, I was surprised he, by that. He was poised. Arizona didn't look great. It was a sloppy game. But usually the better team is the one that can survive sloppy games. And it turns out the better coach team is the one that can survive sloppy games. Oregon made mistakes in the red zone. There was like a third and goal from the seven after a penalty that Oregon tried to run. It was with, again, the best quarterback in the country and really talented receivers. It was just it was an it was a mess of epic proportions that Oregon could not have given away in more ways. See, I am encouraged. Arizona was good. Arizona was good. I am encouraged by your answer because I fully expected you to come out here and just say that uh, Arizona is so incredible. No, Arizona did what good things do, which is take advantage of dumb mistakes. And they, they ran the ball well. They blocked well. Right. The defense looked much improved. They won the game essentially on a this guy. I think is Nick Scooby. It's something Scooby uh, essentially taking the ball away from Mariota, who stepped up into a weird pocket and just it was just such an off night with them having a week off. Both of these teams had a week off and there was just a slop filled off. It was the it was probably the worst Pac-12 game of the week. It might have been. Oh, excuse me. Never mind. Stanford played Notre Dame. I thought for sure you might try to uh, just say that Arizona was incredible and it wasn't Oregon's fault. But you're you're right. I, I agree. All it all it takes is fine to beat this Oregon team at this point. Yeah. And finally, I must ask, was this a Clemsoning? Um. Well, Arizona was five and zero. Although Oregon did raise expectations with their Michigan State win. Um, I mean, it's a it's a twenty point spread that Oregon lost outright. I, it's on the road to it. I would say because you know it, I don't I wouldn't go as far as saying Arizona is a dumb team like certain losses that that uh, that Clemson has had in the in recent history. But it's it's certainly some sort of Pacific time zone version of it. Sure, it's a Clemsoning light. Yeah, I mean, traditionally, Oregon has only lost to the very best of teams. They, they lose to Stanford a couple years in a row. They lose to top SEC teams. Arizona last year was, I would say, closer to it. But yeah, yeah, it's it's right on that road. It was Oregon was just outclassed essentially in every single phase of the game. I say we call it a ducking. Oh. It's the best I could have it's done. Not, it's not an accident that you were ready with that. <laughs> not an accident at all. Let's move right. on. Let's go to Saturday. Hey, Florida State won and mounted a charge after an early 3-0 deficit against Wake you Forest. You want to talk about Florida State next? That's the next biggest game you want to talk about? Florida State plays Notre Dame in two weeks. Yeah. No, I don't want to talk about this game. Who cares? Yeah. Oh, Miss 23, Alabama 17. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. What a day. 
for the state of Mississippi. They had game day there. They had two huge in-state games. Yep. Uh, Katy Perry there with a weird Miley haircut. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Katy Perry on game day? Um, I was actually commuting to the office during that portion and had no interest in watching back what she said on game day because I like college football people. I, I don't know. equally hated and enjoyed it. Okay. She at least had fun with it. She's better than Kenny Chesney. Okay, well, the bar is low. She's better than Kenny Chesney. We'll leave it at that. So, yeah. all right, we said in the buildup to this game that the key was going to be Bo Wallace. He needed to shoulder the load. He needed to not commit a big turnover. Mm-hmm. And he delivered the good doctor in a yeah, big way. I mean, he way. still only played really like a half. He, he did. <laughs> Somehow but, he made it work. But look, no horrible turnovers, three touchdown passes, two of which were really clutch in the fourth quarter. He had 251 mm-hmm. yards in total. And look, in the end, I, I think it's a bit ironic the way they went about winning this game. Don't you they, think? They hung around, played solid defense, didn't shoot themselves in the foot. Now only three penalties. And capitalized on a key fumble late in the game, which gave them the lead. This is exactly how Alabama usually wins big games, Dan. Correct. And Ole Miss, as you mentioned, won the turnover battle. Ole Miss did not shoot themselves in the foot. They take they took advantage of mistakes. Uh, Bo Wallace was the better quarterback than Blake Sims, uh, who was decent enough, but nothing terrific. And obviously through the backbreaking game ending interception at the end there, yeah. Ole Miss basically outplayed Alabama in every phase. And it was, I mean, Ole Miss couldn't run the ball and TJ Eldon and, and I got to a certain extent Amari Cooper were the lone bright spots. Alabama scored 10 offensive points. I will repeat that 10 offensive points. And I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, Lane Kiffin's an abomination and Alabama's taking a step back, blah, blah, blah. Because the fact of the matter is Ole Miss played four quarters of very good defense. Very, very good defense. Uh, just in terms of what Alabama has on that side on offense, you would want more than a touchdown against Ole Miss when other teams have scored more than a touchdown against Ole Miss offensively. So, yeah, Ole Miss looked fantastic and an enormous win. I have no idea where the goalposts are now. Yeah. Um, they're somewhere around Oxford, which is great to hear. And uh, I... I couldn't have been happier watching it, not because I want Alabama to lose, but it's fun to see that kind of excitement and madness take place in a place where you don't see that that often. No, it was it was a great scene at Ole Miss. We're going to get to Mississippi State here next. Mm -hmm. But um, I do think it will come back to bite Ole Miss at some point that they can't run the football because. Oh, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, it's it's problematic because Bo Wallace is not going to give you four quarters of good football every week in an impossible division. Eventually, Dr. Bo's going to botch a surgery or two. (laughs) Yeah, and that's what he does. The schedule moving forward is still very treacherous. They're at AM next week, which they could lose. They're at LSU in a couple weeks, which LSU doesn't look great, but still that's a losable game on the road in Death Valley. Uh, Auburn at home, Arkansas on the road. And then, of course, the Egg Bowl later on in the season. So they've still got a lot to prove. Bama, on the other hand, yeah, is still in pretty good shape, but they also have a schedule that is loaded just because they're in the SEC West. You don't have to yeah. look too far for them if you want to try and find uh, uh, another loss. They're going to be fine. My hunch right now, though, is that everyone in the SEC West beats everyone in the SEC West. It's going to be one of those years. Yeah, it's funny. We're recording this a few hours after the, the game in Alabama, even though they lost to a team in the SEC West, yeah. kind of still feels like they control their own destiny. It right? really does. Yeah, it really, mm-hmm. truly does. All right, let's stay in Mississippi. Mississippi State 48, Texas A&M 31. Dan, of all the teams I have seen this season, right? I kind of think Mississippi State's look the most impressive. Yes, unless you believe LSU is now, after their game against Auburn, 
Secret Bad. Mm. And that the uh, the LSU-Wisconsin game to open the season was the Secret Bad Bowl. Okay. But yes, Mississippi State, in terms of what they've done the past three weeks, I'm looking at you, New Mexico State. Yep. It's hard to argue any other team being more impressive. I would put Auburn on their level, but nobody stands out as being like, well, they're definitely better than Mississippi State. Can't say that about no, anybody. I, I was not a believer. That's a weird sentence to say out loud, Ty. I, I was not a believer in this team. Right. Especially Dak Prescott. No, but they've looked fantastic thus far. This game, by the way, was a full-fledged Dak attack. Mm-hmm. Dakshin. All right. Dak Prescott accounts for five total touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Very much looked Heisman worthy through mm-hmm. some laser beams in this game. And the defense got some key turnovers. You know, we want to talk about body blows. I think we were waiting for this kind of game from Texas A&M. And then especially after last week, mm-hmm. the upside to A&M's offense is that when it's clicking, it's virtually unstoppable. Right. But when it's not in rhythm and when they're beat up and when you put it all on the arm of a sophomore quarterback on the road, sometimes you're prone to getting games like this. And A&M just couldn't keep up with Mississippi State. Mississippi State got up early and m kind of came back late. But uh, it was all too little too late. Mississippi State just looked really darn impressive in this game. There's no other way to shake it. Yeah, Mississippi State pushed around Texas A&M's front. Texas A&M, the secondary, the back seven, whatever, were flailing to make open field tackles. Mississippi State receivers were running all over the place. Darunya was running. He's a big dude. Yeah, he's a large man. Um, Darunya Wilson was fantastic. Obviously, the run game with with both Dak Prescott and Josh Robinson, who has been a stud um, somewhere around 20 carries. But it's nice when you can split that load. Um, Mississippi State, fantastic. And this is the time of year afterward. The first month is completely behind us, especially when you look at other results where you say LSU, maybe secret bad or secret average. South Carolina is, I think, openly bad, which puts the Texas A&M win into better context, especially because South Carolina had very inexperienced and still not all that great corners um, against a ridiculous Texas A&M attack. I would say the Arkansas win is very real for Texas A&M. Sure. I still would stand by that as being a win that, that, that that's a, a feather win yep. in the, the cap of Texas A&M. But Texas A&M is still at times they're improved, but still deeply flawed defensively, which means they're going to have to win a number of games. And I imagine they will, but it, they lost this one 48 31. They're going to have to win games 39 34. Yeah. It's just a reality of Texas A&M at this point where they do have talent on defense, but it's so young, Nick Harvey and miles Garrett and all of them. So in the short term, Texas A&M has to outscore everybody because it's not going to shut down anybody. No, so no Mississippi state is still the story here. I, I want to say game day is going to be there next week for the Auburn game. Mississippi state, very good on third down Win the turnover battle, obviously win on the ground. They don't win through the air, but that's okay because when you're able to take as much time off the clock and punish your opponent, the way that Mississippi state did fine. Great. Mississippi state bulldogs are clang a clang a looking good. Yeah, they look good. They look legit. All right. You mentioned Auburn. Auburn won in convincing fashion by 34 mm-hmm. over LSU. This was Chris the Capper's lock and his pick was contingent on Brandon Harris being an X factor and the LSU defense showing up, neither of which happened. This was a good old fashioned boat race from the opening kickoff after like 12 <laughs> minutes. This game was over. And Auburn cruised to victory. Brandon Harris, three of 14 passing before getting yanked in favor of Anthony Jennings. 
LSU just anemic on offense. Yep. Zero for 13 on third downs, Dan. I feel like you need to do better than that. Zero <laughs> for 13 on third downs. If you cannot play offense, you're not beating Auburn. Right. And furthermore, if you can't play some semblance of defense, you don't have any chance at all. LSU may be sneaky bad. Their best win of the year, a squeaker over Wisconsin, which looks worse and worse with each passing week. Yep. And Auburn just takes care of business. A big one next week on the road in Starkville. Yeah, not surprisingly, Nick Marshall, fantastic through the air and on the ground. Cameron Artis Payne continues to be their go to workhorse back. It's it's one of those things where Auburn just executes. They are simply a well-oiled machine at this point. It's Gus on second year and they are doing these things. And it's not like LSU has bad players. They are poorly coached, poorly prepared and young as all hell. Yeah. So LSU will get there eventually. It's very surprising to see LSU have a down year because down years for them feel like nine and three years. Right. And this is not a nine and three. This team. is not a nine and three team. No, not, not in, in the SEC not in West. This years, yeah. In this SEC West, it's it's not happening. So and I will say as much off as much uh, attention as Auburn's offense gets defensively, as you mentioned, the third down defense, of course, fantastic. The two of the quarterbacks combining to go eight and 24. That's not an accident. Auburn has been that good and that good with missing pieces because of injury and other reasons. Um, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic time. I would imagine to be an Auburn fan watching this team steamroll at least average teams to, to teams that have talent levels that are far, far above average. Like LSU does. Let me ask you a very quick question because we've got a ton of games that we got to get through. Yeah. Next week, Auburn on the road in Starkville. Yeah. Which quarterback do you trust more? Nick Marshall, Dak Prescott, Nick Marshall. He's just done it in bigger places at this point. I trust Nick. Marshall. I sort of lean Dak Prescott because I trust his throwing a little bit more. It's the only thing I would doubt with this game. And obviously we'll get much more into it on Wednesday is it's much more of a letdown spot for Mississippi state than it is for Auburn. There's no expectations for Auburn going on the road. It, you know, Mississippi state had their big, yeah national attention even though game day is coming it's the letdown is much more real for for mississippi state especially with the pressures that come with playing at home in a big game yeah absolutely all right moving on tcu 37 oklahoma 33 love this game might have been the best game of the day dan back and Mm -hmm. forth back and forth really evenly matched if you didn't watch it and if you just looked at the box score Right. The numbers for these two teams are like carbon copies. The main difference being TCU had eight more yards, five more penalties and four more points. Ultimately, that's what gets the job done for the Horned Frogs. And look, I don't want to make the big game Bob joke here, but I'm going I'm to make it anyway. Wow. Really? Three times in the final seven minutes, Oklahoma had the ball in TCU ter- territory, no less. True. Came away with no points. There was stagnation. Is that a word? Sure. There was stagnating. Um, I would I would attribute it more to TCU's defense. They were just that good, um, especially in the second half. TCU's uh, defense allowed like an eleven play eighty yard drive to Oklahoma to open up the second half, but after that, it was it was lights out. And I would love to talk about TCU's offense and the steps they took forward, but they weren't the, the offense wasn't fantastic in the second half. They just didn't give as much away. They just didn't stall as much as Oklahoma's right. offense. So um, it was a it was very much a survive and advance game. Late TCU had the dumb the the extra point blocked and returned by Zach Senge. That was weird. That was weird. That was strange. Um, and TCU was sloppier penalty wise. Um, the third downs were very similar. TCU was a little bit better. Uh, the difference was Trevor Knight really struggled to to 
to punish TCU's defense really at all. Samaj P. Ryan was fine for Oklahoma, but he was mostly contained by TCU. No big plays for him. No, they limited the big plays. He found the end zone, but it was really a matter of TCU adjusting. I, I can't imagine TCU adjusting better to what Oklahoma was doing on offense in the second half. They were making every single open field tackle. They were in Trevor Knight's face. They were stopping they were stopping P Ryan on first contact. It was, it was a masterful defensive class from TCU in the second half. It was Ben, but don't break. And to your point, I don't think either team, certainly Oklahoma, definitely TCU, neither team's going to attest to playing their best game of the season. I think there is better in both of these teams, but it was survive and advance. Ultimately TCU gets the job done. And you mentioned Trevor Knight. Really held in check here. 15 of 34 passing through two interceptions. He's just been fine through the air this year. He hasn't been crazy good. Well, well, TCU with a big win. And they're on the road at Baylor next week, which coasted to a 21 point win over Texas. Also not the prettiest day passing for Bryce Petty. He was just seven of 22, 111 yards, two touchdowns in the second half, though. Those two touchdowns extended the lead to 28 nothing at one point in the fourth quarter. And then there was just enough offense elsewhere with Shock Linwood. He had a nice game on the ground. And of course, the Baylor defense held down Texas, which, you know, it's Texas at this point. <laughs> so what? Uh, turned over Texas three times, 28-7 year final as Baylor goes on the road to Austin. And yeah, Bryce Petty did struggle. Yeah, I didn't have a great game. No, this was this was by no means a and he's still very clearly hurt. Cracked whatever cracked vertebrae, whatever is in his back. There is. There is something to be worried about as Baylor gets into the real part of their schedule. And I'm sorry, Texas, you are not part of the real part of their schedule. Bryce Petty struggled. Uh, Shocklin was great. They they just sort of leaned on the run game. They did a good job defensively against Texas. Um, I saw a lot of tweets from Texas people saying, hey, we didn't get shut out. We're only down two or three scores. <laughs> so that's where Texas is at right now. But I would there to me, there is an asterisk of Bryce Petty not even completing a third of his passes and just sort of. Re, like almost literally surviving in advance. All right, let's continue our way through the top 10. Utah 30. Mm. UCLA 28. It's a trap. It's a trap. Did we or did we not call that this game was a potential trap for UCLA? Yeah, and I think it's more than a trap at this point when we've seen the landscape of the Pac-12. But yes, we certainly decided that Utah, and they won this game with their backup quarterback yep. because Travis Wilson was not given all sorts of leeway to be inconsistent and bad as he was in the opening of this game. Um, yeah, Utah's a strong team. They blew the team. They blew the game last week against Wazoo, but they've looked good this season. They went to Michigan and won, which is not the greatest, most impressive thing to do in the world, but they still did what was expected of a, of a decent team. So UCLA and their struggles, good teams once again, and I'll point back because it's another Pac-12 game. Decent teams, good teams take advantage of the ina inadequacies and inconsistencies of supposedly good teams, which UCLA couldn't protect Brett Hundley at all. No, 10 sacks in this game. I just replayed that from a pr like nine previous episodes of the solid verbal. UCLA's offensive line is terrible. Ten sacks, Dan, if you can't protect Brett Hundley. Here's the thing about Brett Hundley. Yep. He's still a really good quarterback. Yeah. He holds on a little bit too long at times, but yes. Decision making maybe needs to speed up a little bit. Mm -hmm. But when you give him time to throw the ball, he throws a really nice ball. Yeah. The problem is that he got, he got sacked ten times in this game. And when he wasn't getting sacked, he was mostly running for his life. Mm -hmm. that's not a winning recipe and we've seen it all 
year long. Now, I did not think Utah could beat UCLA. I didn't think they were athletic enough. I knew the defense was good. I but knew they, they were gonna, close. I knew, right. I knew they could keep it close with UCLA. Just didn't think they could win the game. Right. Kendall Thompson came in and actually gave them a new dynamic. A nice game for him and Devontae Booker on the ground between the two of them. Taking advantage of the supposed UCLA strength, which is yeah. their front seven, the athleticism and, and sure tackling ability of the line and the linebackers behind them. 52 carries, 239 yards for mm-hmm. Thompson and Booker. So Utah out physicals UCLA, I think is the best way to put yeah, it. They Without question. They obviously had their, their run of things along the defensive line just bowled over. UCLA 10 sacks again. Yeah. And it was one of those things where UCLA seemed to get their offense together more and more, especially through the air in the second half as they take a couple leads. And one of the the sort of hallmarks of really good coaching and superior coaching is figuring out ways to gut out close games and not make mistakes and keep chains moving. And there's always going to be a little bit of luck involved. Obviously UCLA missed two very long field goals at the end of this game to win it potentially with a good kicker, but as you said, Utah much more consistently out physical them. I'm not crazy about that verb, but no. I'm going to go with it anyway. No, me neither. Um, but uh, yeah, they committed fewer penalties. Actually, they didn't commit fewer penalties, but they committed a, only a few penalties. Excuse me. They weren't able to move the ball all that much through the air, but when it counted, they were decent enough on third downs. And even though USC or USC, UCLA, same thing, even though UCLA outgained <laughs> them. It really is. That sort of is. That's how much it matters. It doesn't. It doesn't at all when you are simply out coached because Utah went into Pasadena and they just moved chains and got into end zones. And I I'm I come away from this game. It's just another brick in the wall. That is the what's going to happen in the Pac-12. Nobody knows. Anybody can beat anybody. Yeah. Well, I have no idea. I have zero feel. Yeah. For the Pac-12. I think you have a perfect feel for the Pac-12. Not the on a week you have basis. zero feel for who's good and who's not means that you have a great feel for it. I guess. I guess that's one way to look at it. But Every know. team has a fatal flaw. Every team has things that make you think that they could be almost, if not everybody. Right? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, here, here's another one then. Notre Dame 17, Stanford 14. Yeah. You want to talk about body blows. I'm not even going to play the sound again. All right. Maybe the worst game of the day next to Florida, Tennessee, mm-hmm. a rain soaked game. I think they said 31 degrees was the wind chill in South Bend. Must have been horrible to be there. Yep. You knew what kind of game you were going to get here. You knew it was going to be a big time slugfest. Yep. And so I only really have a couple notes on this one. The first is that remember a couple weeks back when we talked about I shouldn't even say we when I talked about how good I thought Kevin Hogan looked against USC. <laughs> Yeah. I take it all back. <laughs> yeah. All back. Kevin Hogan, and I don't know how I didn't see this sooner, has a pop gun arm that we have not seen since Bryant Moniz from Hawaii. Yeah. The longest delivery in the history of man. You tweeted out that one of his interceptions, he started his delivery the night before. Oh, no, that was CJ Brown. But I could see how you could confuse the two. Yeah. What's the difference? A it's horrible delivery. The difference is at the beginning of Kevin Hogan's career, he had tight ends and all sorts of interesting people to throw to in an offensive line that actually paved the way for a running game. And he seemed to feel more comfortable and not overthink things as a, I think he was a red shirt freshman. Um, now, not the case at all. No. And granted, Notre Dame's defense, good. Answered questions about the secondary. I don't think Stanford's offense is all that good and puts players in a position to succeed all over the field. But Notre Dame took advantage of a sloppy 
environment and slogged this game. Stanford's defense looked very good until one play. <laughs> um, and even though I think Everett Olsen had what he had a pick and a fumble. Yep. Ultimately didn't end up costing them because Stanford is not good enough to take advantage of mistakes when they're on offense. They're just not. My other bullet point is that Stanford can't run the ball. That actually yeah. both these teams want to be power rushing teams, but neither can do it. Right. Notre yeah. Dame wants to be a power rushing team. They've got this stable of running backs. We heard about it all in the preseason. Right. It's going to be a power rushing team. Look at the stats. Not a power rushing team, Dan. I still and I still think Stanford's defense is one of the best things in college football, period. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's wasted. Yeah. Yeah. The offense just has nothing. Can we figure out some sort of trade? Like, can we get Melvin Gordon on Stanford? <laughs> just I feel so bad for Melvin Gordon on the Wisconsin offense. I, I, I feel so bad for the Stanford defense having to watch the Stanford offense from the side of the field. I mean, God, which one of Cam McDaniel's two yards per carry was your favorite? Was it the first one or the second one? <laughs> Stanford was great, and they gave this game away, and Notre Dame, good enough to take advantage. That's To me, that's the actual central theme of the weekend. It was the team that won, certainly is the better one, and they're the better one because they were, they were wise enough to not make mistakes and to take advantage when there were windows. Yeah, and by the way, you talk about the Stanford defense. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Until the last play of the game. Yeah, literally. Yeah, that, it, I had a, an Oregon flashback to Thursday on fourth and 11. Yeah. Unbelievable. You know, so Stanford goes down the field with three minutes left. That's another thing for the Pac-12. Just the last play of the game. The last That's play of the game. Just knock it down or something. <laughs> you know, Stanford goes the length of the field. Three mm -hmm. minutes left. They score an improbable touchdown on 11 yard run on third down. Third and goal. Yeah which blew my mind and obviously yep. Notre Dame's then they're up 14, 10 kick the ball off out of bounds. Give Notre Dame the ball at the 35. Mm -hmm. They stop playing defense, at least on the middle of the field for 50 yards. Notre Dame just throws slants to get the whole way down the field. Right. Then Stanford slows the progress. And on fourth down, somehow, I don't know how Ben Koyak finds his way through the defense. He is standing unabated in the back corner of the end zone and just waiting. Yeah. He's just waiting for it. He wasn't even running. It wasn't like a brief, oh, there he is, hit him. It was just like, hey, I'm, oh, yeah, yeah, me? Okay. He connects with Everett Golson. It was a 23-yard touchdown, a big win at home for Notre Dame. It was not pretty. There's a lot of 2012 in this Notre Dame team. I don't think they're as good as they were in 2012, but a lot of that same feel to this team, they're just going to do enough to win the game. Right. Maybe not going to be impressive. They will have their shot to advance in the polls in a couple weeks against Florida State, and that will be an interesting game. I do not think Notre Dame will win that game for a multitude of reasons, and one of them, of course, is my reverse jinx, which is mm -hmm. working wonderfully thus far. The surest thing in Notre Dame 2014 That's right. football. Notre Dame's got a loss or two in it still. Right. And I don't know if it's going to be at Florida State. I don't know if it's going to be on the road later this year against Arizona State. Right. If it's going to be on the road against USC. Spoiler alert, Arizona State's going to throw the ball. <laughs> oh, right. Of course. <laughs> but um, I think Notre Dame's got a loss or two in it still. Nonetheless, if you were lucky enough to get in on the over under seven and a half win loss bet for Notre right. Dame, you're looking pretty good right now. They're going to get to eight wins to say the very least. I'm going to point something out as a person who firmly doesn't believe in blaming officials. And I don't blame the officials necessarily here, but I'm going to point out a fact. Yep. Nine penalties for 66 yards for Stanford. 
One penalty for 10 yards for Notre Dame. This isn't to say that Notre Dame isn't a very disciplined team, and it's not to say that Stanford is particularly undisciplined. That's just a weird fact okay. that happened. You're going to blame the, the officials Pac- now? Pac-12, no, I'm not. Notre Dame won that game because Stanford couldn't defend a guy standing at the corner of the end zone wide open. But a little bit strange. Right. It's just a, it's a discrepancy that I, uh, I'm not super at peace with. At least Stanford beat Notre Dame in some aspect. True. That's, that's quite true. Take the points however you can get them. Yep. Michigan State 27, Nebraska 22. This is a weird game. Um, yeah. State was up 27 to 3 after three quarters and effectively shut down the engines long enough for little backdoor cover. Mm. Um, the state defense was really able to contain Amir Abdul until the fourth quarter. And we talked about this mm-hmm. on the Wednesday preview. Everyone knew what they were going to do. They were going to key on Amir Abdullah. Yep. They were going to dare Tommy Armstrong Jr. in Nebraska to throw the football all game yep. long. And it was a great strategy because Tommy Armstrong is young and he's just not accurate enough to beat a really good defense like Michigan State. Right. The problem, though, the problem, though, <laughs> you got to play four quarters, Michigan State. Yeah. Michigan State is definitely 75% of a good football team because they definitely have the stamina and energy and focus to play three good quarters of football the against good teams. The best three quarters in Michigan football. Yeah, in the state of Michigan. That's right. Uh, do you want to guess how many combined points that Michigan State has against Nebraska and Oregon in the fourth quarter? <sighs> is it more than zero? No, it no, is not. Didn't think so. If it could be less than zero, if it could be fewer than zero points, it would be. They they've have sco- zero. They've points. scored negative eight points in the fourth. Yeah, I mean, quarter. unless they if they had like touchdowns called back, that it's entirely possible. Yeah, Michigan and they they keep Nebraska to three points. And granted, one of the the fourth quarter scores was a punt return, but you are still responsible for tackling punt returners. Yep. In the fourth quarter, nineteen points for Nebraska in the fourth. Tommy Armstrong comes alive, miscommunication and sort of a bump on the the final interception. He actually hits. A receiver in the end zone hits him in the hands, but it was a very tough catch. I wouldn't go as far as saying drop. Um, Michigan State survives this game, I guess would be the nicest way yeah. you can say, because Connor Cook does not have a good game. No, Jerry, Jeremy Langford was fine, but nothing special. Uh, Tony Lippett was a bright spot and the defense for most of the game was a was a very good bright spot. But and it's it's one of those things where nobody in the Big Ten until Ohio State and after Ohio State. I can I can't see any of them making Michigan State pay for having 75 percent preparedness for a big game. But that's what they are right now. The class of the Big Ten right now. I'll say it again. Michigan State, Ohio State, which at at, at this point, yes, Ohio State, which cruised to three weeks ago. No. Yeah. Three weeks ago. No. But Ohio State rolled over Maryland. That was my lock of the week. One of my locks of the week. I like Did You see the email we got about your feelings on Maryland. I did. I'm so confused about my own feelings on Maryland. (laughs) It was one of my favorite emails we've gotten that you loved Maryland before they blew out Indiana and then going into the Ohio State game. You're like, they don't have an identity. (laughs) They don't have an identity, though. No, I know. And I know why you can like a team, even if they don't have an identity, you can fully find peace with. But yes, that is Ohio State should have and did roll all over them just in terms of talent level, just in terms of JT Barrett, getting the reps, the reps, having the offense become a little bit simple for him to get comfortable in Ohio state looked like they should have looked against Maryland. And um, more and more, we're seeing the talent on offense, get the ball in creative ways, which is 
it's good to see because we had certain thoughts about the Big Ten a few weeks ago that sort of had us a little bit pessimistic about such a thing. Here's what I'd say about my feelings on Maryland. Mm. Maryland football is like eating oatmeal for breakfast every day. Yeah. And it's, it's good fine. for you and it's fine. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's going to get the job done. Saying Maryland football is good for you, I think is a stretch. Maybe if there's like brown sugar or cinnamon or blueberries or something like that. No, I no, can... I'm talking plain oatmeal. Those aren't oh. even available for you. Plain gotcha. oatmeal every day. Yeah. All right. It's nutritious and it, and it fills you up. Get that high fiber. However, at some point, you're just done with it. At some mm-hmm. point, you want eggs or an omelet or, you know, some bacon. Maryland does not give you the eggs or the bacon. Maryland is always oatmeal, at least as long as it's got Randy Etzel. Yeah. And so I think some of my confusion was the fact that I got sick of the oatmeal. I got sick okay. of the oatmeal. It was great two weeks ago against Indiana. Great. Randy Etzel's face sort of looks like oatmeal, too. A little bit, yeah. Ohio State rolled over Maryland. This game was over before it started. Um, What else happened in the top 25? Georgia won by 27, thanks to a a big day by Todd Gurley. Oklahoma State won comfortably over Iowa State. Started slow, but yes. Yeah, ECU and Shane Carden breezed past an awful SMU team. K-State hammers Texas Tech. Texas Tech, probably not a bowl team. No, probably not. Looked at their schedule yesterday. It's tough to find another four wins as they're now two and Two and three, I believe. Wisconsin, we mentioned. We didn't mention Wisconsin. You want to go there no, next? I mean, Wisconsin, we mentioned in that Mel Gore should be allowed to, there should be some waiver that allows him to go to Stanford. Um, Did you mention Mel Gore? Did I hear Mel Gore? Mel Gore? Mel Gore. I almost want you to throw in a, in a losing effort at the end of that. I can do that if you want. I would love that. We've got another losing effort to get to in a little bit, by the way. Here's but, oh, uh, we've got the losingest effort and the effortest effort of all time, right. probably on this show. Clearly. Um, Melvin Gordon, 27 for 259. First carry of the second half goes for like 60, which means he's averaging like 54 per carry, the first carry in the first in the second half. Um, Northwestern did a decent enough job. They didn't do anything spectacularly. Justin Jackson was very nice on the ground for the Wildcats, but Wisconsin through the air was abhorrently bad. <laughs> Joel Stave, though, he cured the yips. Don't worry Stave, about it. He's good. Stave and McAvoy are are basically like, man, if you have to if you have to go with Stave and McAvoy at your company, like you're in trouble. It's I am I'm very and it's Andy Ludwig as the offensive coordinator, which should surprise nobody that Wisconsin just immediately regresses when he's there two, three years. Um yeah, Wisconsin not even secret bad anymore. Wisconsin not good. Melvin Gordon's Melvin Gordon is the sail holding up that ship that is slowly or quickly sinking. Let me point out this fun fact. Yeah. Between Joel Stave and Tanner McAvoy, mm-hmm. they combined to complete 12 passes. Yeah. Three of those passes went to a gentleman by the name of freshman Godwin Igwe Bouquet. <laughs> you ever hear that name before for, for have, Northwestern? I, um, I had not heard that name before, but I do know Chichi Araguzo and I yeah. like him. Um, good Good for, the, for good for them. By the good. way, the cat's bump is real. Oh, cats and cats. For those wondering, here's how this works. We have a listener. His name is Taylor. He's the chief cats correspondent now for the solid verbal world, whether he C-C-C. likes it or not. Yeah. He did some research. He found all the spots around the country where cats, the, the musical is playing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether you're home or away. Right. If there is a cat's performance within 50 miles of your home campus, you are eligible for a cat's bump, he says. And then what happens? 
Well, I think the cat's bump gives you an advantage when it comes to winning the football game. Okay. Who does it give the advantage to? Whichever school, whichever campus is, is, is within 50 miles of gotcha. a cat's performance. So it's independent of whether you're home or away. Right. In this case, Northwestern had the cat's bump oh, potentially man. influencing influencing things here cats bump went another three and one this week it's now 11 and three on the season Same. i feel like when when we saw that document cats wasn't playing terribly far from you no Penn might State. be time to take the lady friend <laughs> or east coast elliot or mama h or uncle joe Colarusso. any of these guys oh man all right utah state 35 yeah. byu 20 we won't go into too much detail here other than to say that Taysom hill Broke a leg. He's done for the year. A yeah. horrible break for him. He That's was a having a great one. season. You hate to see it happen. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, now, probably game set match for BYU. Yeah, they lose to Utah State, and they were the team that probably had the best shot outside of the, the Power Five conferences, given their schedule, given a nice win against Virginia, a win against Texas. They probably would have finished the season with a healthy possible win against Cal, who's looking better and better, at least a decent team at this point in their second year with Sonny Dykes. Uh, but yeah, BYU for all intents and purposes, they are without Taysom Hill, who is the sort of heartbeat and the man responsible for dragging them up and down the field and make make damn sure you call him a man and not a boy. Yeah. Um, it's a, uh, it's a shame. BYU will still be good, but they, they're not gonna, they're not going to be great. All right. Arizona State 38, USC eee! 34. Eee! A great back and forth game. Yeah. With little to no defense. Correct. Zero running game for Arizona State, which kind of surprised me. Right. Backup Mike Bercovici, a great mm -hmm. Italian name. Of Calabasas, California. That's right. Comes through in a huge way when it counted for Arizona State. So here's the deal. Let me paint the portrait. Down by 11 late in the game. Game over. Game over, right? <laughs> Berkovici hits Cameron Smith almost immediately following a USC touchdown. Right. Hits Cam Smith, 73-yard touchdown. Were they down 11 or were they down 9? It might have been down 9. I feel like it was 9. Was it 9? It was 34-25. That's yeah. right. I didn't carry the 1. Yeah, that happens. Down 9 late <laughs> in the game. Berkovici hits Cameron Smith. 73-yard touchdown. They pull within 2. Arizona State then holds USC. They get the ball back. Somehow, somehow, explain to me how they surprise USC with a Hail Mary. They caught him off guard. Did you see it? Not Steve Sarkeesian's first Hail Mary loss. It's Sarktober, baby. It's the Ides of Sarktober. Um, yeah, so backup quarterback for ASU. Event, winds up throwing for 500 yards and five touchdowns. They make no mystery about how they're getting down the field. They're just going to chuck it to Jalen Strong, constantly Cam Smith. Yep. Uh, USC's defensive backs still relatively green. Adoree Jackson, uh, Kavon Seymour. Uh, they were going for too many interceptions, not going for sort of just keep everybody in front of you. Obviously, the, the final play of the game was just a joke of in a mess, and USC players looked wholly unprepared for one job. One job. One job. Stand in front of everybody in a white jersey and knock down the ball. Jump up in front of everybody and knock down the ball. Do you think they were caught off guard that ASU tried the Hail Mary there? A little bit. If you look if you look back at the tape, it's Hayes Pillard, they're all Pac-12 middle linebacker who's fantastic. He's on their their deep coverage team. Right. And that's fine, I guess, if he's great in coverage. He was not 
he basically stood behind Jalen Strong and sort of jumped backwards a little bit as if he were going to catch a ball with nobody in front of him tasked with catching the ball for the other team. It was a pathetic, like really weird showing from the USC defense, not just on that play, but in general, they were not able to sort of keep ASU in front of them, make any sort of adjustments when it became very clear that Mike Bergovici was just going to will them down the field. And kudos to Bergovici for playing with the confidence and sort of poise of somebody who had been there before to go into the Coliseum against, I mean, the USC defense, I think we've thought of as being at least consistently okay against the pass. They weren't great against the run against Boston College. They were worn down. Another team that three quarters of a good game, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Cody Kessler was fine. But USC running that that horizontal crap when you have when you just have better athletes across the board than ASU's defense and they're going for screen after screen like why are you dinking and dunking with Buck Allen and Aguilar and Darius Rogers and all these people it made no sense I thought they caught him off guard with that hail mary because there was time left I think so too there was time left and I know just watching the game I'm thinking they're gonna try like a 15 yard pass they're gonna get up there and spike it see if they can kick a game-winning field goal right instead crazy Todd Graham just goes right for the Hail Mary well it takes two plays to uh to throw like a 19 yard out or whatever was needed for a crazy field goal and a crazy field goal right whereas like here's USC's defense not stopping the passing game no I get it I get the logic but it, yeah. it caught me off guard just watching you mentioned Jalen Strong by the way he caught the 46 yarder that won the game mm-hmm. 10 catches 202 yards, three touchdowns. The jail Mary. Yeah, he he's, I didn't invent that. That's pretty way. good. I like that. Yeah. I yeah. was I saw that on the AS an ASU site. I think House of Sparky. He's pretty good. All right. Yeah. Uh what else do we got? Florida, Tennessee. Uh Florida beats Tennessee 10 to 9. That's a that's a pretty extreme way of viewing that game. <laughs> <laughs> they they scored more points than Tennessee. My favorite part of this game was at the very end when it looked for a second like Florida had managed to bungle somehow the victory formation. Right. They did not. No. They go on to win the game 10 to 9. Jeff Driscoll benched. Treon Harris comes in, leads a touchdown drive. Now apparently everybody's all in on Treon Harris as if it's still not the Florida offense that's being run, but yeah, Jeff, it was, it was time for a change. He was under 50%. He had thrown a bunch of picks, uh, just absurdly bad down the field. And Matt Jones had a nice game and it was, it was time to see if, if just a change of pace were it was necessary. And it was elsewhere in the sec least. Yeah. Kentucky 45. Kentucky. Yeah. South Carolina 38. That is 21. Factually accurate. 21 unanswered points in the fourth quarter for the Wildcats. They are now four and one. Four and one for Kentucky. Not bad. Yes, they are. And they play in a fantastic division to be four and one in and to continue to win games in because the SEC is not all that good. Patrick Towles, a nice game. Jojo Kemp, who likes running his mouth a little bit, which I'm in full support of. Uh, he is a very nice day on the ground. Um and defensively, they just got stronger and stronger throughout this game. Nobody was fantastic doing particularly anything other than maybe uh, JoJo Kemp. And South Carolina, at this point, we can say definitely not good. Don't know if they're bad. They're definitely not good. They're not good, no. No, that one's a bit of a surprise, too. Yeah. SEC East always has plenty of surprises. Um, all right. Rutgers 26, Michigan 24. Yeah. I've jotted down no notes for this game other than the final score. Yeah, I made every effort in the world not to watch this game. And then, of course, there's this. We can't we can't avoid it. Connor Halliday 
with literally the best losing effort ever by a quarterback ever, 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 ever. set an NCAA record for these kinds of numbers in one game, 734 yards passing six touchdowns. You cannot do that in most video games. And still Washington state loses 60 to 59. Dan, this wasn't even a shootout. It was a basketball game. Uh Cal wins the game by one point, 60 to 59. Yeah. And what's his name? Uh, I forget the name of the Washington state kicker. Washington state misses basically a, a chip shot field goal at the end of this game to win it. It's, it's not good. It's not a good thing. It was a 19 yard field goal. Quentin Brashears mm. for uh, for Wazoo. But yes, nice. Connor Halliday setting. It was what it was total yards and passing yard records. Unbelievable. I believe a single game. Connor Halliday. Fantastic. Uh, Jared Goff, of course, fantastic in this game. I didn't stay up all night, all night to watch this, but I, I saw enough of this game to see the back and forth. They combined to go. God, over 1,200 yards passing, <laughs> uh, 11 <laughs> touchdown passes. And even more impressive, the fact that it's what, 100 and. 23 pass attempts between the two of them. No picks. No, no picks. And Cause there's no it's, defense. It's, it's the Cal and Wazoo defense, but you figure at some point there's a tip and somebody's there or it's just a misread, a miscommunication. A guy's going deep. He throws a back shoulder shallow or something like that. No, that wasn't the case at all. Um, Bryce Treggs has a very nice game for Cal. It was, it was Vince Mail, River, River Crawcraft, which I love that name. Yeah. I think they had another receiver over a hundred yards. Dom Williams. Was it, oh, it was, I don't know if it was Myers or Williams. Yeah. yeah. Dom Williams, um, 60 to 59. And this is, I'm going to make a, a grander point about the PAC 12 right now to, to allude to what we were talking about earlier. Please, please do. I'm not positive of much at this point in the PAC 12. When you look at who has beaten who, and or who has beaten whom and who has lost to whom or whatever the case is, there is nothing you can really with certainty say beyond maybe, I mean, Colorado hung with Oregon state and took Cal to triple overtime. Cal beat Wazoo at Wazoo. Wazoo was right there with Oregon for the entire game. Can Wazoo beat Stanford? Sure. Yep. Can, can Cal beat Oregon state? Yeah. Can Cal beat Oregon? Maybe. I don't know. Can Oregon beat UCLA? I don't I mean, there are certainly reasons to believe so. I'm can noticing a trend here. Everyone can beat everyone. Everyone essentially at this point with Colorado moving the ball with Utah having their big win. I it's it's entertainment. It, it They're not the best conference. They're the most entertaining conference just because you, you just shrug and watch it go back and forth the entire time. And if you're if you're going to view the pac like, well, they don't play defense in the West Coast. Like, don't watch it. Who cares? Nobody needs you. Yeah. By the way, is the Pac-12 going to get a team in the playoff now? Yes, whoever wins the Pac-12 will get in the playoff. I'm starting yeah. to doubt that a little bit. No, Big Ten's too bad. The ACC is too shallow. Yeah, Pac-12 is, and the Big 12 is, I mean, I I guess I could see Oklahoma, Baylor, SEC team, Big Ten team, but I think whoever comes out of the Pac, like if Oregon goes 11-2 and two and they win the Pac-12 and they beat UCLA twice or something like that, I think Oregon gets in. If Stanford, who has only lost one Pac-12 game at the moment, nobody in the North, if they ugly their way to a 11-2 record, right, with Notre Dame and USC losses, those aren't appearing to be terrible losses at the moment. Stanford's got no shot, Dan. No, but their offense is so bad, and Washington's offense is so bad, but everybody has something that will keep them in games. Cal can throw, I would imagine, on pretty much anyone. But keeping you in games is not getting you in the playoff. That's my point. I I don't think... I don't think I'm seeing anything in the Pac-12 that wows me. Oregon was like the big hope. 
and they've right. been really disappointing. Now, who knows what we've got with Arizona? Arizona's probably got a loss or two in it still. Absolutely. They, they do because they have their flaws. And UCLA, from here on out, it's not a terrible situation. UCLA has both USC and Stanford and Oregon at home and Arizona at home. Yeah. So their, their road games, Cal, Colorado, Washington, if you're UCLA, one loss, they're in a fantastic position. Oregon, I believe, doesn't get USC or ASU. Um, I'm trying to look who Stanford misses right now, but Stanford misses two teams in the South. Uh, it looks like Stanford does not get Arizona and they don't get, it looks like Colorado, which fine. That's not the greatest, but you know, I don't, yeah, I, I think is- an 11 and two pac 12 team with the strength of this conference compared to the big 10 and the ACC and a good chunk of the, I think it's, it's the clear number two conference in the country, isn't it? I don't know. Who's better? I don't know. Could you maybe put the Big 12 in there? I don't think so. I, Big 12 is what what looks like three and a half good teams. Yeah. With Oklahoma, Baylor, TCU, and West Virginia counting as it's just It was just team. a really bad day for the Pac-12. Oh, excuse me. Oklahoma State's good, too. I'm having a hard time getting over that. But it, it was a tough day for the Pac-12 against each other. Against each other. It wasn't the Big Ten losing to everybody outside of the conference. You don't want your teams, though, to beat your teams. You want the cream to rise to the top, and that's not happened yet. You you want your cream in terms of playoff, but you also want, as a conference, to show strength. The problem with the Pac-12 is they decide to play their top ten teams in the middle of the night where they can't show themselves. And it's this week it happened to be a good thing for yeah, Oregon and UCLA <laughs> to not receive attention in the middle of the night. Play but, it on a work night really late. Right. But the the Pac-12, I think, is the clear number two conference very clearly, just because in terms of its depth and coaching and results, it is. And then you got the Big 12, which could very easily kill itself off because TCU just knocked off Oklahoma. You can Mm -hmm. definitely envision a scenario where TCU goes to Baylor this week and loses, and then Baylor plays Oklahoma later in the year and loses as well. You could definitely find a way for all of those teams to have one loss. The SEC West, we've already gone there. The ACC, no one in the ACC is beating Florida State. There's just no shot of it happening. I think the only shot at all is probably Notre Dame in two weeks, and I don't think that's very probable. So right right now, if I'm betting on anyone going undefeated, it's still Florida State, even though Florida State has still not looked like the juggernaut it was a year ago. They are decidedly more beatable this year than they were last. I It's hard to argue. Would you take a a one-loss TCU team playing nine conference games but not a conference championship game over a two-loss Oregon or UCLA? Man, I don't know. I don't know if I would, and I I love TCU. That's It's just difficult for me at this point. I don't know. It's going to get dicey. And And TCU played nobody in their non-conference, I should add. This is the bright spot for us now because as we move forward, as these teams play one another each week, there are going to be matchups that we didn't see coming four or five weeks ago. It's going yeah. to get interesting for sure. What else do we got here, Dan? We ran through about as many games as we could. Other than that, Louisville has a nice turnaround game after looking not so good recently. They go to Syracuse and win that. That was Friday night. We mentioned Utah State and BYU. Um, we went through Purdue. Mm. One, Illinois is tremendously bad and Purdue's bad. And that's all we really know about the Big Ten, I believe, West. Yeah. Uh, Larry Fedora, how long is he going to have in Chapel Hill with the kind of defense he doesn't have? Let me let me talk about UNC for a second, because, you know, darn well, I've been terrified of that Notre Dame UNC game 
since it was on the schedule. Please because don't it be fall, it fall Right. It falls in between the Stanford game and the Florida State game for Notre Dame. Now, I'm still not 100% certain mm-hmm. that I wouldn't bet on UNC there just because of the situational factors. And the reverse jinx. <laughs> right. And the reverse jinx. Yeah. However, UNC is really bad. They are really bad. There is no yeah. defense. They can score points sometimes, but they're having a hard go of it this year down in Chapel Hill. I would like to talk about an ACC defense that makes me feel a lot better. Clemson shut out NC State. Hey! A week after NC State scared the bejesus out of Florida State, Jacoby Brissett is made to look awful. Deshaun Watson is really, 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 really real, um, both on the ground and through the air. I'd like to see him run the ball less, but whatever the case may be, Mike Williams appears to be a, a true number one receiver for the Tigers. Clemson is fun to watch, will be fun to watch throughout the season. Um, the two losses stings and probably will eliminate them from any sort of playoff contention. I don't even think they're ranked right now, but they are, they are suddenly a dangerous team and they're just going to make the Florida state win as ugly as it was to watch appear to be that much better, even though it was not all that good. Um, NC state, by the way, not a horrible offense. No, not at all. No, that was, I think it's much more. And I only saw, I was only flipping with this game, but that was much more of a testament to Clemson and the ability to control the ball and to, uh, to get in Clemson or in NC state's face. Football outsiders had him at like top 25. I want to say offensively yeah. before yeah. that game. So not a bad showing for them. Yeah. that's opponent adjusted. Uh, Oregon state mentioned briefly, they get by Colorado. I think Colorado was up at the half. So Colorado, again, everybody's getting better. Everybody has flaws. Colorado can't play four full quarters, but they fought and scrapped in this game. So cool to see, I guess, if you like deep conferences and just good games all over the place and not 56 13s. Yeah. Um, other than that, I think, I mean, Memphis killed Cincy, which I was not expecting. That was a huge letdown spot for Cincy after the Ohio State game. Georgia yeah. Tech remains undefeated. <laughs> Did you make that sound? That was my Georgia Tech horn. Yeah, that was me. That was you just live right now. That was right me now. doing that live, yeah. Oh, that was fantastic. I have a, I have a tremendous mouth trumpet. <laughs> I want to isolate that yeah, sound. That was, just that was... play that back-to-back with, I want to be a live bulldog. Yep. I have a tremendous mouth trumpet. That's yeah, right. uh, Georgia Tech, very good, uh, especially un- not surprisingly on the ground, but did a good job of limiting, especially Brad Kaya, who, who turns the ball over a couple times again. Duke Johnson, nice day. But Georgia Tech, undefeated. Yep. Playoff. <laughs> eligible playoff eligible there you go playoff eligible they are not on any sort of postseason sanction that i know about boise state at a blow not a blowout a shootout win against nevada and finally ty yeah give me that dirty dirty drum and fife well i told you friday night was going to be huge yeah not necessarily in terms of patriot league standings but emotionally my hometown against me as a leopard, a leopard legacy. Yep. Fordham, Lafayette, Fordham, of course, probably not only the team of New York City, but the Pat League team of the solid verbal and new solid verbal friend, Tony Reale. That's right. After his unbelievably generous time and sportiness, um, after being not harassed, but inundated with secret verbals about his time as Fordham's water polo goalie, nicknamed Buffalo Chicken. Lafayette right. goes to the Bronx and just completely and ultimately shellacked by the Fordham Rams, New York City's true team. That was Friday night as we move to Saturday, Ty. Hold on, hold on. What do you have for me? I do need to point out, there is a running back for Fordham. His name Mm. is Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds is the name of a character on 24 who got his arm chopped off in season two or three. Does that forebode Fordham's season? Pay attention. 
We'll see. 25 carries, 187 yards, and two touchdowns for Chase Edmonds. I believe we were both very high on the Crimson of Harvard. We were. We were selling on Georgetown, even though there's a live bulldog possibility with them being the whole, the Hoyas. Yep. Harvard runs away with this one, 34 to three. Wasn't even as close as the score indicates. Or maybe it was. I didn't watch. Yeah, I don't think it was on TV. No. Uh, Holy Cross, away from the friendly con- confines of the Cross Dome. Predictably, not predictably, but they lose a late one close to Colgate. You've been very high on Colgate all yeah. year long. So go Gators. And finally... This is, I mean, it's setting up, and it seemed like it was setting up to be a huge game between Bucknell and Fordham later on in the season. I want to say it's in early November. Bucknell leaves the friendly confines of the the Nello sphere, and Bryant takes them down. Bulldog Stadium in Rhode Island. In Rhode, Bryant's tough. We've yeah. we, we spent a lot of time over the summer breaking down the Bryant depth chart, so we know just how good they are in the open field, getting their players into space, tackling in one-on-one situations. This is all bullshit. Bryant, 34, Bucknell, 15. <laughs> Take some of the luster off of that early November matchup against Fordham, but I'm still very excited as a Pat League enthusiast. 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 Okay. Bryant Bulldogs in Smithfield, Rhode Island. You ever, you ever go to Rhode Island? I've been there before. What did you, you do there? Checked out some of the uh, mansions in Newport, Rhode Island. Yeah, see, I went to Newport. Went went to the it was the Cliff Walk. Yep. Uh, had some some cohogs, some clams. Yep. Um, went to the International Tennis Hall of Fame, which mm. I heartily recommend. Wow, really good time. There's there's grass courts. There's all sorts of memorabilia. Must see attraction. I love the Tennis Hall of Fame. Make fun of me all you want. You're big but, into tennis. I'm not. Sorry. Uh, Rhode Island, fun state to visit over the summer. Okay. Yeah, so I did the engagement photo thing, Dan. Yeah, and you said not full nude once again. Just tasteful nudes, but no. It um, sure really just didn't work out for the schedule. I'm so So what was, was it a, like in, the, in a forest? What was the setting? Studio? There's a park nearby. Okay. And I uh, hope they didn't get a photo of me looking at my phone to get the score of the Notre Dame game. They probably did. Um. Just uh, really just poor planning on my part. Okay. So now are these, these are candid shots, a mix of candid and posed. I don't think any of them are truly candid. Most of them are posed, but there was posed candid. I'd call it. What percentage of the shots could be described as, (laughs) Oh, you. Yeah. Yeah. Probably like 65%. (laughs) Good. There was one, there was one where the solid fiance was like up on my back, like, Piggyback are you going to be posting these to Facebook? Can I see these? They will not be posted anywhere. No. Where? Where? What are the? Are they going to be framed and put in your place? Where? What is? Where is going to happen with them? I have yet to decide what we're going to do with this. It was sort of a last-second decision. Do you think you about you could send like an, a glossy autographed eight by ten to like dry cleaners, listeners, anything like that? To like our pick 'em pool champions? Yeah. You don't receive a glossy eight by ten autographed. Yeah, I don't know. Any of like secret moment they're not watching like from afar like it's just the two of us any of that kind of like the couple like sitting on a log by the water the couple like, on the field at old miss yes not no not like that. not like that no I'm, I'm talking this very g-rated like you just sort of steal a moment you know that kind of thing not really <sighs> fun show yes so much information did our best to get through all of it we're going to mm-hmm. be back on Wednesday, going to talk more college football. There are a couple intriguing matchups, which obviously we're going to break down. Yeah, um, this was fun. We had a ton of reverbs come through. We appreciate everyone calling in. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please do tell all your friends about the Solid Verbal at SolidVerbal.com, on Facebook and Fangred, and of course on the Twitter. Daniel, you enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy writing Easy Call and whatever yeah. else it is you do on Sundays. Yeah, I will. I, there's a there's a nap in my future. There's a run. There's some laundry okay. and there's some Easy Call. For that guy over there in beautiful New York City, Mr. Dan Rubenstein, for myself, Ty Hildenbrand, here at Solid Verbal West Studios. Thanks again for <laughs> tuning into the show. Catch you all in a few days. In the meantime, exhale. Stay solid. Peace. Peace.